Hello and welcome to JOSPT Insights, the podcast that aims to help you translate quality research to quality practice. I'm Claire Ardern, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Orthopaedic and Sports Physical Therapy. It's great to have you listening today. My guest today hardly needs an introduction. Over decades, Dr. Lynn Snyder-Mackler has been at the forefront of research on best practice in ACL rehabilitation and in training generations of outstanding sports and orthopaedics clinicians. Today, Lynn shares her extensive knowledge on tailoring rehabilitation to the nuances of the most common ACL reconstruction graft types. We're talking hamstring tendon, bone patella tendon bone, quadriceps tendon, and allograft. What's different? What's the same? Dr. Lynn Snyder-Mackler, welcome back to JOSPT Insights. Hey, thanks. It's so fun to do this again. It's always fun to have you on the podcast, Lynn. And today we're talking about ACL reconstruction graft types and how to think about graft type when you're planning and delivering an ACL rehabilitation program. Can we start with a refresher right off the top? What are the ACL graft types that people are most likely to see coming through the clinic now? The most common graft types are, are hamstring, semitendinosus gracilis double loop, so four strands, or sometimes the semi-T three times, but a thick enough hamstring graft, bone patellar tendon bone, autograft, and a quad tendon, which is either with one piece of bone from the patella or free graft, then it's a soft tissue graft that's fixed like the hamstring. And then allograft. And what's the rationale for each of these different graft choices? Are the surgeons going to recommend hamstring for a particular athlete, allograft for someone else? What's the what's the thinking that goes in behind choosing a graft type? That's a, a very good question, Claire. But I would say in my experience, it's the graft they're most experienced with or that they've learned just because of the way that educate that uh, resident education occurs around the world. You actually have pockets where they only learn one. My bottom line has always been, if you're uh, up against it, you should go with the graph that that particular surgeon is most comfortable with. Because as physical therapists, we can handle all of those. If we're attentive to all the different nuances of those graph types. And I think the key thing here is that as clinicians, we've got to feel prepared and feel comfortable dealing with all of these different graft types. Lynn, people listening to us today might have seen and heard a bit more lately about the quads tendon graft. And you mentioned the quadriceps tendon and where it's coming from and that it's typically a soft tissue graft. Why is this graft getting more attention lately? Well, I think people are looking for one more sturdy graft. We're often not talking only about primary reconstruction, but revision reconstruction, what are you going to do? Are you going to go to an allograft? Are you, are, what, what's next? As more, you know, these re-injuries are occurring, we're looking for another autograft source because allografts have gotten a little bit of a bad rap. Let's get into the rehabilitation. Let's walk through the common autografts and think about what are the most important things that folks need to to keep in mind when they're working with an athlete who's, let's start with an athlete who's had a hamstring tendon autograft. Probably the the most important thing that you can't walk back 
is to not start resisted hamstring activity too early. Nothing's been done to the extensor mechanism. You can work the quads like crazy and they shouldn't get sore. And that you just have to wait six to eight weeks to really start that resisted hamstring stuff. The ham, the semitendinosus and gracilis are just the semitier stripped. And when the muscle contracts, it just contracts and makes this little ball up high. And it has that those tendons in general, the data suggests that they grow back and attaches on the tibia, probably not quite as anterior. So not quite with the rotational strength or positioning, I guess, that I had before. You need to let that process start and you need to not get them. So they end up feeling like they have a hamstring pull. And that's more annoying than almost anything else for them. Other than that, they feel good. They pass criteria earlier you still need to hold them out because those grafts need the same amount of time to incorporate and heal as the other grafts do at, at least nine months. And I would say for people who are 18 and under a year. So hamstring graft, go nuts with the quads, get the quads going as soon as you possibly can and think about what's happened to the hamstring tendons and factor that in to your planning so that you're dropping down the resistance and the loading, loading appropriately the hamstrings. That's the hamstring. Let's come now to the patella tendon, bone patella tendon bone. What are the key considerations for rehab for an athlete who's had a bone patella tendon bone graft? It's an extensor mechanism graft. So you can still get after it like you would with any other with the, with the hamstrings, but you need to be attentive to the fact that they not only may, but they will take longer to meet these clinical milestones. This is a tendon. There's a, a th mid central third of the patellar tendon in general. Some people do the manual, but most are central third is gone. It's got to fill in there and heal. So what do we do to treat a tendon? We provide tension so the tendon knows the tenocytes know how to line up, right? And make normal patellar tendon. So our natural tendency to avoid that discomfort in the tendon is probably not a good idea. We should probably be incorporating the things that we've learned from the tendon experts. Use pain guided, right? If it's with, with the rule of thumb, if, you, if it's below five, just keep going. If it's above five, moderate your rehabilitation program. But we need to think about the fact that you're rehabbing the tendon as well as the knee. And just know that it takes about two to three months longer for patellar tendons to meet criteria that include quad strength as in hops, for example, as it does with a hamstring. That's not a bad thing because it allows more time for growth. And I think we can come back to this idea of biological healing and graft incorporation and how that relates to progression through a rehabilitation program. And you've got some great data that you just alluded to there, comparing different graft types and how quickly folks get to meeting certain return to sport criteria. Our last autograft is the quads tendon. So what key issues do we need to pay attention to with for an athlete who's had a quads tendon graft? The quads tendon is one that you really do from the very outset have to pay attention to different. And it's not because it's an extensor mechanism graft per se. It's because the graft itself 
whether it's with a piece of bone from the patella or free graft, comes exclusively from the rectus. And the rectus femoris is a two-joint muscle, the articular muscle. And you need, same thing as I said about the, the patellar tendon, bone patellar tendon bone, you need to rehab that tendon. So lots of folks say they have trouble getting strength back, or sometimes they get isometric strength back, but they still have what looks like a quad lag. You have a tendon that's elongated, just like you might see in Achilles tendon repairs. So it's really important that you think about the rehabbing the quad tendon as, as a biarticular graft. So we're, one of the things that we suggest, I mean, we, I, I have not mentioned, but I'll do a shameless promotion here, our updated University of Delaware ACL rehab protocol is on our website. All of our practice guidelines are, they are like open to access, just go get them. But we've updated them with these pretty extensive instructions about the different graphs, but you need to extend the hip when you're trying, when you're doing quad exercise. So at least part of your quads exercise has to be with a person either reclined or, or basically in supine. It is technically something that a lot of people are starting to use. So you got to really get around that. So it's still lots of quads work. And I think that's the key message here is that you're going hard on quads strength and regaining quads function with all graft types. And then if it's a quads tendon graft, you're also paying attention to the position of the hip and making sure that you are considering that the rectus has had a whole chunk of tendon taken out of it. And you've got to deal with that as almost as an injury. Think of that as a separate injury to the ACL. Now, let's talk briefly about allografts, and I'm keen to use this as a bit of a segue into some of the data that we alluded to earlier about timing and biological healing and when is the right time to transition back to sport. So allografts, Lynn, what are the key considerations here when folks are planning a rehabilitation program? Again, we've had, I've had lots of experience with allografts over the year, allograft or cadavergraft. There are Tons of data that suggests that they incorporate even slower than autologous tissue. But the, 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 the flip side of that is there has been no harvest from that knee and they feel great. So we have folks who regain their quad strength. They don't have effusion. They get full range of motion. They basically blast through rehab and they feel great and they're confident because they don't have all those other things going. So we're here. We're at the uh, is it biology or criteria? What we know is it's both, and it, we have people who can again who can blast through. This is one of the same things that happens with hamstrings. Not quite the same as allograft. It's still a couple, three weeks, maybe a month behind. But you know they meet these criteria much faster. And if you only use criteria, or even worse, just look, use how they look, right? Oh, your knee looks great. Go. It's a, it's really a recipe for setting these folks up when they return to play to rupture their graft. So it's important to sort of normalize that by time to return. And I think there are lots of data that suggests really strongly emphasize that return to play should be at nine months at the earliest and for the youngest athletes about a year. It gives a really good opportunity 
for that graft incorporation to occur. What we're seeing with the allografts are people who are going back at three or four months, right? And hamstrings, five months. Those grafts aren't ready. Dr. Constance Chu from Stanford has written about this extensively and talks about this graft incorporation process is silent because we don't see underneath the skin and that we have to be the analog for that unless we're going to be using imaging to assess it has to be time so we need to really be counseling our patients about why when they're you know meeting these criteria why they can't just go back and our youngest patients are the ones who are just so anxious they feel like their lives are over when they have an ACL injury and they want to be able to get back as quickly as possible. So do our you know, professional athletes. We need to think about that, that biologic. Lynn, how do you have that conversation with athletes? Because I can imagine if you're trying to hold somebody back at six months when they're feeling fantastic or three months even when they're feeling fantastic, that's a really hard sell. So is this a conversation that needs to happen much earlier? This is a great question, Claire. Right away. In fact, if you see the patients preoperatively, which we generally do, we start then. And how does that conversation go? Like, what do you, what do you say? Well, I think we start with some of the day, some of the stuff you brought to the fore about re-injury rates, right? I mean, uh, before the registries and before looking deeply within even a surgeon's practice, like you guys did, it was just doctors saying, hey, it's really good. Everybody gets back to play and hardly anybody gets re-injured. No, 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 that's not really the case. I think we have that discussion and we have it really early. Like I said, preferably preoperatively. And if you have, what are many of these injured athletes, adolescents, right? They're, they're high school students and, or even younger, you, ha- you have to have that in conjunction with their whole support team. The uh, consensus paper that you guys wrote in, in BJSM about you know, return to activity, return to sport, that whole collective decision-making. It's really important to have a shared decision-making model where they actually understand. But the data are overwhelming. I mean, it's not, it's not equivocal. It is really very straightforward. The vast majority of the folks who tear their ACLs are high school, recreational, you know, club, collegiate. They're not playing you know, Premier League. So you need to have that discussion. And we are even more conscious of having that discussion with all stakeholders, with our athletes who are young, because they are really very much at at most at highest risk. It's amazing how we'll have patients who come into our clinic to be checked because they've been cleared by a health professional to return to support. And they come in and we do return to activity testing battery and they fail spectacularly. And you're thinking, well, you know, if all they're doing is looking and nobody's measuring, you're really setting these folks up for failure. Lynn, what frustrates you most when rehabilitation clinicians talk about quote unquote gold standard grafts? It is our job as rehab professionals to be able to to rehab anything that walks into our clinic. Like I would really prefer that everybody have extended preoperative rehab beyond a quiet knee before, but I, somebody walks into my clinic who had surgery on the, you know, uh, right off the court. I'm not going to say, oh, wow, you really should have been here for 
three months before this. And I'm, you know, you have to be prepared to rehab whatever walks in front of you. And so it's not okay to say something like, X is the gold standard, and I don't really rehab these other graphs, right? We it's our responsibility to know the nuances of those graphs, know how to protect them, know the know the biological healing, and be able to attend to that. What's the most important thing that rehabilitation clinicians can do to help athletes with an ACL reconstruction get back to their sport? Do your like nuts and bolts basic rehab. Early on, make sure, and, and this is something that you have to be able to do out of the blocks, is try and calm down that knee postoperatively. Because whether they, you've seen them for a couple of weeks before their, before their surgery or you have not, they went right to the surgeon and had surgery right away, you have to calm that knee down. You need to take care of the effusion and you also need to get that quad work any way that you can and get their, their, especially early on, their knee extension back. Do that, and then just your nuts and bolts, strength, and then making sure they're using those muscles when they're walking, and then using knee soreness and effusion as your guides for progression. So if they come in one day and they're more swollen than they were before, you really have to rethink either what your the program that you were working with them or what they're doing outside. We talked a lot about psychological outlook. Very often the poorer psychological outlook is really associated with the condition of their knee. So if somebody who's weak and swollen and has some pain, their psychological outlook is going to be often crappy. And then again, back to the biological side of things. Our group and, and the Cincinnati Children's Group, Mark Paterno's group, has, has reported on this, that some of our highest re-rupture rates are in these young athletes who race the rehab, just be every milestone really fast, have what I would consider high scores, but terrible risk appraisal. Like they don't really think, I'm never going to re-injure, da, da, da. They go back and re-rupture. So it's like thinking about all of those things together. I, w- I wish I could say it was formulaic and simple, but it's not. You need to think about biology. You need to think about criteria. You need to think about what each graft needs that's peculiar to that graft and then attend to it. I mean, it's not complicated because there's a formula for each and there are solutions when you run into roadblocks, but it's not the same. It's complex, not complicated, I think. Okay, so let me recap. It sounds like we've got graft types. For graft types, we're paying attention to hamstring, if it's a hamstring tendon graft, really paying attention to the quads and getting the extensor mechanism going for a patella tendon graft and also a quads tendon graft. But with a quads tendon graft, we're going to think about the hip position and that biarticular nature of the rectus muscle. And then with all of these graphs, whether it's an autograft or an allograft or whatever it is, biology and criteria. We've got to respect that the body takes a while to heal and to integrate that graft into the, the structure of the joint. How'd I do? Great. You did great. And I think, Lynn, it would not be a Lynn Snyder-Mackler podcast without talking about the quads, so I'm glad we got some quad strength work in there too. Don't be afraid of open chain quads. That's my 
mantra. That's a good mantra. Dr. Lynn Snyder-Mackler, thank you for taking the time to join us on JOSPT Insights today and walk us through the nuances of graft choice and rehabilitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of JOSPT Insights. For more discussion of the issues in musculoskeletal rehabilitation that are relevant to your practice, subscribe to JOSPT Insights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google, or your favourite podcast app. If you like JOSPT Insights, help others find us. Tell your friends and colleagues and rate and review us. To keep up to date with all the latest JOSPT content, be sure to follow us on Twitter, we're at JOSPT, and Facebook, we're JOSPT Official. Talk with you next time. Mm -hmm.